Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. <laughs> yeah, the two children that forgot what the Magi were bringing were my grandkids. <laughs> so, got a little work to do there. Hey, uh, I do want to, wrote some notes down here, let me pull them out. I want to thank everyone. We, we did this presentation on uh, Friday night and uh, Saturday afternoon called The Fourth Magi. It's an idea I've had for a while and I shared it. I'm finding out now I just need an idea. It doesn't matter how many details I have. If I give it to Jay, he'll come back two days later with a full script yeah. on this. And that's really what happened twice now in this year uh, with Matchless in the springtime with Easter and then Fourth Magi, and Jay did such an amazing job. We crafted it along the way, but he's, he's the hero in the whole thing. And I just want to thank, it's an original play that we did. We had a really good crowd on Friday night, and even our Saturday after, afternoon matinee, we had somewhere, we haven't got a specific count, between 30 and 40 people that gave their hearts to the Lord over this, so we're very excited. Yeah. And I want to thank, I mean, there's so many people. Aaron uh, Powell did amazing stuff behind, yeah. the, behind the scenes. And, uh, and Alex, who is over the creative community, which we just started this year, and Jay. Jay, who wrote it, produced it, directed it, and almost acted in it because of COVID going on, you know. The band, uh, craftspeople who, you know, built sets. And you haven't, I mean, you're not seeing anything really except over here, but... There were tents up here. There, were, there was uh, an, an inner room, throne room. So they, I mean, it was so good. Uh, we had so much fun with it. And the actors were just amazing and very convincing. And, and I just want to thank all of them. I mean, it goes on, makeup people, photography. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, but there's a huge the, at the back table, media and sound and everything. I mean, rearranging chairs, people cleaning up afterwards. We were, we were sweeping straw and hay all the time, you know, to try to get it off, uh, out of the building. And uh, let's just thank all of them corporately together for that. Yeah. Now, Mary, Mary and her sister are still working overtime here on the, on the left over here. So I also want to just introduce our campus pastors since we've got everyone kind of get together today also online. We know some of you may not have been able to make it. We've got a packed house here. And it's, uh, we're having a lot of fun. We're glad you're engaging with us online. But uh, I want to, Todd and Nancy Roberts, they're in our Akron campus. Just stand up. We want to thank them. Yeah. Yeah. We bless them. Thank you for all your work down in Akron uh, over the years. Todd, Nancy have been with me, I don't know what, 20 years or something like that. Long time they've been here. And we, we just love them to death. Ryan and MJ uh, Otto. Where are you, Ryan? You're somewhere in here? Yeah, over here. We're at Middleburg uh, campus. They're new to us this year. We're finishing out our first year, Ryan. Uh, how's it going? Don't answer that. All right. So they have a new baby, Lincoln. We're glad to have them. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, look at it. <laughs> They're a lot of fun, and they oversee our uh, Middleburg campus, and uh, I love these guys. They've been a lot, of, a lot of fun over this past year, and Jay and Ashley Brogan right here. I don't know where Jay is back there. Ashley's up here in the front. Stand up. Let's stand up. 
Very good. Yeah. They're here in the Brunswick campus, and uh, they do all kinds of things around here. We're just, actually, when Jay was uh, sick a few weeks ago, Ashley stepped right in and took over the production and helped it through a few uh, uh, times. We were having all kinds of practices and everything going on. It's been a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, we just thank everyone who was involved. It really meant something powerful. And what I'm going to do today is do a bit of an illustrated sermon. I want to share a few things about, uh, you know, Mary and the conception, how it all came about, and also about the Magi, who I've been studying pretty deep, going a deep dive the past couple weeks, studying some of the great theories and some of the actual manuscripts that are out there, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. But more importantly, then all the story is so powerful, but the story replays itself throughout history, really in every one of our lives. I mean, there's some Magi in your life somewhere, somebody that came out of nowhere and communicated Christ to you or came to you as a sign from God. I mean, God is still doing the Christmas story now, even though obviously that first one was very unique in the babe that was born was Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, as it says in John chapter one. So we're gonna insert a, uh, I think, two scenes here in a few minutes, and uh, we're gonna meet the Magi, and uh, we're gonna worship together at the end, and, and then you're gonna go home and have Christmas dinner or something. I don't know what you're gonna do today, but I'm sure it'll be a great day of remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and some special music. So what we'll be showing will be all a part of what, uh, what we did on Friday night and Saturday, and if you didn't get a chance to come, uh, actually, if you're a creative type, how many of you feel like you have some, now this is an odd question because a lot of people that are creative will not yeah. fess up on this, you know, but how many of you feel there's some aspect of a creative life that God has given you? Uh, raise your hand around the room like there's creativity. That's pretty good. It's about a third of the people. There's another third that's afraid to admit it and another third that just hasn't discovered it yet. I mean, the artwork over here, uh, Sabrina, just hold up your picture over here. I want them to be able to see that. She was, uh, started that this week and did some finishing touches during worship. Okay. Yeah, it's, if you can't see, it's, it's Jesus, the glow around his head, the glory of God. It's pretty amazing. If you get a chance later on to come up and look at it, say, well, it's charcoal, right? Charcoal drawing. We appreciate our artists, all of them, and we're building a team, a company of people that are uh, creatives, and we have somewhere around 40 to 50 right now, thanks to Alex gathering some people together in the two plays that we did this year. But there is, this, is one of the, this is one of my pet projects. I love creativity. And uh, we're gonna build this community. We need more. My vision is over 100 people that we can do skits, we can do plays, we can do dance, we can do drama, we can do all kinds of things. I was showing the, the angel, Christopher Milo, who's Gabriel in the play, I was, I was showing him some of my interpretive dance that I do personally. That's usually, uh, he was very impressed with it. So we'll be seeing some of that, not by me, in the days ahead. And uh, we, we wanna really build our creative community. The Lord's really been speaking to me about how to reach people in this current environment right now. You think, of course, technology is a part of that. And you know, I'm not going back to the middle, medieval times or anything, but I think there's something still important about the physical touch and connection with people, even during this pandemic in the midst of it, still being safe, still being cautious and careful, but yet using our creative community to communicate. It, it, it's, 
It's attributed to St. Francis. It's not really true, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote it anyway. That he said, you know, uh, you know, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Uh, he, his life demonstrated that. He was a troubadour in medieval times, which meant he was an actor. He loved music. He loved street song. He loved kind of gathering a crowd. He was that kind of a guy. And uh, there's something about that, actually, in the time of St. Francis, you know, what would that be? Uh, it was the 13th century, uh, or actually 12th century, 13th century, 1200s, uh, that St. Francis was around. He'd go city to city. They would gather people through entertainment, move in signs and wonders, and saw multitudes in Italy come to Jesus Christ. And when that hit Florence, it created about 120 years later, 120, 150 years later, the Renaissance. And the Renaissance, we still live out today in the free thinking and creativity that we all have. Much of that came out of the Renaissance about five, 600 years ago. So one person can make a huge difference. And people that are released in creativity can make a major difference. And so God is the creator of the universe. He started off all mankind with creativity. He calls us his workmanship, created for good works in Christ. The word for workmanship is where we get our word poem, that he's the creator, your life is a poem, you are the poem of God. What kind of poem are you writing right now in your life? I mean, it's amazing, the creativity of God. And when your mind gets blown on who God really is, you see him everywhere. You interpret him everywhere. When you wake up with a voice in the middle of the night at 3.33, you don't just go, oh my, what is this about? How am I gonna get back to sleep? You think, this is God. <laughs> you say, that's a little weird. Well, welcome to Bethel Cleveland. It's kind of like what we think. So, uh, so I want to talk about the fourth Magi, and then we're going to go into the second scene of uh, um, the fourth uh, Magi. The Magi, the background on the Magi, there's still a little bit of confusion about it, but they believe from early Christianity, it seems pretty sure that they were Persian and that they came from what would be modern-day Iran. Interesting enough, because right now, the greatest move of God in the world right now is happening in Iran. The underground church being led, by the way, how ironic, by women. Strong leadership in women in Iran are raising up a church there that is moving in signs and wonders. We don't hear about it for obvious reasons, but word is getting out, and amazing things are happening there as thousands of people are coming to know Jesus Christ. But in that place, there were seeds planted there. And if you came to the play, we had some history on this. There were seeds planted 600 years prior to the birth of Christ in Persia. Because you remember, Israel had been captured and taken into uh, Babylon. And uh, Babylon, uh, they took uh, a lot of people, a lot of Jews, really evacuated the whole country, left a, a small remnant, but basically took them all to Babylon to be slaves and servants in a, in a foreign, uh, evil government. And uh, it was so well depicted in the first scene. Maybe we'll get it on video where you can watch it sometime. But uh, during that time, of course, one of the characters that was there is a young Jewish boy, probably a teenager, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, kids always like saying those names. I don't know why, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of the fame of walking through the fire. There was a fourth man in the fire, you know, which was a, a theophany. It was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And, uh, but anyway, that's the group he hung out with. And in the midst of it, 
the king had a, a horrible dream about, about this kind of giant statue and the plundering of this statue, and it represented him and the, and the generations and kingdoms after him. And it's in Daniel, I think, 9 or 12, somewhere around there. And Daniel becomes a character who, even though he was in bondage and in a very difficult government situation, not that we can ever relate to that, but in the midst of that, he speaks and declares to the benefit of the government that's there. You know, God's called us even in times of difficulty. Maybe your political party's not in. Maybe, you know, whatever you think the future is of America and you, and you want to fight against that. Uh, you know, in America, you're allowed to do that. But throughout history, you've not been allowed to do that. You know, you were a slave. You were in bondage. But Christianity still flourished in the midst of that. I feel like I need to say that again. Christianity, di Christians did not get weary and give up. Some probably did. But for the most part, they grew in times like that. I mean, the, the church in China back in the 70s was somewhere around 10 million people. But the move of the Spirit of God in China, even their draconian laws and the, the, the difficulty and challenges that are in the Chinese government, the Communist Party and everything else, through it all, now, not only has Christianity grown, but it's become very charismatic, moving in signs and wonders. They estimate now over 150 million Chinese are Christians in China just in the past 40 years. That is a revival. And so in Babylon, there's Daniel, uh, the, the king, because of his dream, rose up and said, look, I had a dream last night. He was so tormented by it, he said, I want the interpretation of the dream. Get the magicians, get the soothsayers. They got all these, you know, evil, demonized, charged sky watchers together and uh, said, tell me what the interpretation is. Well, king, tell us the dream. He says, no. I want you to tell me what the dream was also. I love that in Daniel. And they all complain like, nobody knows. Nobody can interpret, the, tell you what the dream is and the interpretation. You've got to tell us the dream. And so one by one, he went through his, his uh, sagey uh, uh, advisors of the supernatural and said, you tell me the dream or you're dead. Can you imagine that put a little bit of pressure on you? In fact, Daniel even said, could you give me the night to sleep on it? And he took the night, and then the night the Lord showed him this dream, and we show it on video uh, during the uh, play, but he showed this picture of this, this kingdom, this, this giant statue, this kingdom that the head was gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar, the king that Daniel was talking to, but as it got down to the feet, uh, the strength of the statue got weaker and weaker, where actually the feet were half made of, I think, bronze and clay. And so what happens, a rock comes down off the hill and crushes these kingdoms over time, you know. And uh, Daniel gets an understanding, gets the interpretation, goes before the king. The king asks him. He gives the interpretation. The king is so wild by it, he says, surely your God is the, is the king of kings or is the, is the greatest God. And he said, because of that, I'm gonna make you over all of the soothsayers. <laughs> now you've got a God-fearing Jew who's now being put in charge of an entire tribe of people that were probably demonized and led by evil spirits in the things that they saw and discerned in the past. 
And so over the years, that's 600 years before Christ, over the years, the influence of Daniel, you can imagine what he did. He got in there and introduced Yahweh. How do you know? How did you know the dream? Well, I, got, I heard a voice from heaven. I had a dream from God. Daniel loved having dreams. Dreams are actually the number one revelatory language in the Bible. Pay attention to your dreams. And so he said, he talked about, you know, that, that God, Jesus Christ, was that boulder. He was that rock that came down and smashed all. And he prophesied to a king that would arise out of that, a mountain that would rise up and cover the nations of the world, which would be the kingdom of God. Such a powerful thing, you know. And so down through the years, these, these soothsayers that were nicknamed magi or magic, magician, it's where you get the word magic, magician-type people, were influenced by Daniel down through the years until the day come where it hit, you know, we believe three, there may have been others, no one really knows, but three magi that probably came from the Persian area following a star. They were studiers of the sky, astronomy, astrology, the whole aspect of the various constellations. Uh, there's now like 88 constellations they recognized. Back then there was a much smaller amount that were recognized, named after Greek and Roman gods. But it's the way they discern. But through that and their teaching on Yahweh, they knew that the king of kings was going to be born. And so at that time, actually a couple things were being born. A star was being born, but a star in heaven and a star on earth, and his name is Jesus. And that's what happened with Mary. The Bible says right out of Luke chapter one, verse 26, it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph for the house of David. Virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. Then it goes on to speak. Well, how is this going to happen? Verse 30, it says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and will be called the son of the highest and he will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, like anyone would, how can this be? I do not have, I have not known a man. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come and the power of the highest will overshadow you. It's an interesting Greek word there, the overshadowing, because it's talking about casting a shadow with a natural result. In other words, this is a supernatural shadow that imparts something into the person that's under the shadow. It's used several other times in the Bible. It's kind of interesting because you remember the transfiguration where Jesus was caught up and Moses and Elijah were there. And then it said all of a sudden a cloud came in over them and they were overshadowed by the cloud. And out of the cloud, a voice spoke. Same Greek word, overshadowing during the time of transfiguration. And what happened was the very power of God came out of that cloud with a voice to the disciples. Also, another time it happened in, in the book of Acts, when the Bible speaks of, remember Peter walking through the streets and that people were being healed by his shadow, by being in his shadow. The power of God was so strong, the same Greek word is used, that the overpowering shadow of a of a Christian man, not God, but a Christian man influenced by the Spirit of God 
was powerful enough to heal the sick and cleanse the lepers. Think about that for a minute. And it said, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there'll be no end to his kingdom. And then it says, uh, for with God, and the angel said this, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary has this statement that she used at the end there, which, which we call, you know, the statement of ultimate receptivity is, uh, may it be done unto me. It's really the point of distinct salvation. When you say that which I've heard about, I now receive it into my life. It's faith. Somewhere something comes to your life that sounds totally bizarre, totally out of the natural, which this was, a virgin conceiving and it being God in the flesh. I mean, in the play they talk about that, Joseph and Mary, what's it gonna be like to raise God? <laughs> And uh, one of them mentions to the other, like, you know, will we have to discipline him? And Mary says, or will he discipline us? And so you wonder about what it was like during those years of raising the Son of God. And so it starts. The baby is there. The baby is growing in the womb. And many theologians think this, and it's kind of my theory, is that the day that the baby was, was started in the womb, the point of conception and the overshadowing, also the star was birthed in the heavens. And the star started to move as the baby began to grow. And there's a confluence of times with the star and the baby coming toward the manger and ultimately with the magi. You know, this is a, it's so rich with uh, picture when you think about it that anytime God gives you a promise, a seed that's planted inside of you, he also has started something in heaven that's coming toward you. He may birth something in your very soul and in your very spirit, but he also is bringing the ultimate provision that's gonna bring out the promise that God has given you. If you're here today and you've got some promise over your life, something you're believing for, something that you believe was kind of very supernatural, very outside of yourself, only God could do this, well, the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. It may be impossible to man. But I can tell you right now, that seed that's inside of you that is growing and getting bigger also has a heavenly component that is moving toward you. It's the provision for that seed to happen. So a star is born, a seed has been planted, a star is starting to move. The Magi were off in Persia on their way to the scene of the star. They were stargazers and they realized something is going on. A lot happens in the midst of that. But a Matthew 2 is the fullest account of the Magi. And the reason we think there were three is because there were three big gifts. By the way, I don't know if you've realized this, but those gifts they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all had symbolic uh, meaning to them. But they were also very expensive things, very expensive elements. In fact, gold was the least expensive of the three items. And I was reading articles this week. I really was curious. I've heard all kinds of stories about the value. They believe the value in today's dollars was between one and four million dollars that was brought. Uh, I mean, they traveled for possibly months to a year to get to Bethlehem. They would have had an entourage of 20, 30 people, bodyguards and, and servants of all sorts. There were wealthy men that came. 
And if there were three, they came with those three large gifts to present to the king of kings. They had their own religion. Actually, it was a, they were monotheist in uh, Iran at that time in Persia. But they were fascinated with the, with the text of Scripture, what we know as the Old Testament right now, and somehow came to the conclusion that in Bethlehem this would happen and that the star was connected with it. Actually, there was manuscripts found about 10 years ago that were translated from the third century that appear to be like the autobiography of the Magi. And they talk about the fascinating thing about the star was that when they looked at the star through the scope, they could see a baby on the star. There was the figure of a baby on the star. And they knew it was the birth of a great king. And so they began their journey and came along. Let me read a little bit from that. It says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, chapter 2 of Matthew, in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. It's interesting, the Jewish leaders were unaware, but those from afar off were well aware. And it says here, as our magi enter the room, there we've got the star right there. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As you can see, there's a fourth magi from the play. He represents all of us in many ways, out of wounds and hurts, coming to a point of joining with those who are seeking the king and coming to a point where he sees the king and transformation begins to happen in his heart. As they get into position on this, let me just finish this off by saying this. When Jesus arrives in your life, it's a disruption. Jesus is Lord. He is King of Kings. He may come into your life in a way that you wouldn't have imagined. Actually, all of Israel was looking for a warring, conquering king, and instead they get a babe in a manger, a seed, a small baby that's got to grow up into the perfect timing. The seed was planted, the star was born, and now Jesus has come forward and a whole new era in world history is about to shift. He comes to the rich, magi, comes to the poor, shepherds, he comes to everyone, wherever you are, whatever your social class is, whatever your color is, it doesn't matter what God, he has a place for you at the manger. How does he arrive? He arrives as that disruptor. He's done it all throughout history. If you read the stories of people throughout history, you see he's constant 
disruptor. I mean, he was with St. Francis. He was with St. Patrick. He was with people all throughout history, showing up to the rich, showing up to the poor, showing up to the broken, showing up to slaves, showing up to the abandoned. In St. Catherine of Siena, he showed up to a woman who was 19 years old who literally had the words to govern the Pope and thus go govern the Roman, uh, Holy Roman Empire. A 19-year-old woman who saw and heard things from God. Even to this day, God still moves. He's looking. The eyes of the Lord look to and through throughout the earth for those who are seeking Him. Now here's the deal, and I'm closing with this. He can be missed. You can miss him. I mean, history is full. King Herod missed him. He didn't know that a king was being born. And when he heard, he got very upset. The innkeeper missed it. If I was the innkeeper, I'd kick someone out and let Jesus in. But they gave him a stable to be born in. Jesus himself wept over Jerusalem later in his life because he said they did not know the day of their visitation. I think that applies to a lot of us. It's like Jacob when he turned aside in a place called Luz and fell asleep and had a dream. When he woke up the morning, he said, God was in this place and I did not know it. Did you know God is actively working in your life right now? You just don't know it. Or maybe you do know it. Because in their Bible, there's a lot of people that, that realize what was happening. You know, we've got blind Bartimaeus who couldn't see, but he knew something was going on. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Some of us are blind Bartimaeus. And we're crying, we're willing to do it. Just God, come help me right now in this situation. And Jesus stopped, touched him, healed him. One of my favorites, I was texting my son about it yesterday. With the friends of the paralytic. That's what they called somebody who couldn't walk. In Old Testament times, they broke into a roof where Jesus was and lowered the paralytic right down in front of Jesus so that he could minister. And Jesus said, I have not seen much faith like this. The willingness to break through a neighbor's roof to get your, your friend healed. I mean, there's all kinds of accounts in the Bible, the woman with what's called the issue of blood, lifelong of pain and embarrassment and separation presses through a crowd. She wasn't even supposed to be in the crowd. She didn't care. She broke social norms. She went through the crowd, just fell down, touched the hem of his garment, and instantly was made whole. But I don't know. You, you'll find yourself in the Bible somewhere. You get in there and read it. And you go, wow, that's me. That's who I am. You might be the shepherds. You're just obeying a voice. You might be the magi. You're making great sacrifice to come and see a king. You might be like Anna and Simeon who were older and in the temple and were believing in their old age that somehow they would find Christ and find the Messiah. Lo and behold, he comes in the temple one day as a babe and they get to see them before their death. You can also. You know, the Bible says he's coming back again. It's over and over in scripture. I was just looking through it this week. The Bible says in Matthew, no one knows the hour, no one knows the day. He's like a thief in the night. Will you be found ready? It says in 2 Timothy, know this. We're the Magi now. We're discerning the times. He says, know this, that in the last days, let's find out if we're in the last days, perilous times will come. 
Men will be lovers of themselves. Women probably agree with that very much. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. These are the last days. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. That's a, an amazing description that's 2,000 years old. Could be describing this moment right how, right here. Are we in a moment where Christ is coming and saying, I'm here for you. Let's all stand together if we could. Where's Jesus in your life? Let me tell you a few things about it. He's been moving all along. If you think about it, just close your eyes for a minute. Think back on your life. You know, you know by experience that in your life, Jesus has appeared there at various times. But we don't take time to think about it. He has a promise that's set apart just for you in Jesus Christ, that you receive him into your life. The Bible says you become born of above or born again at that point where your life is made new and now the Lord dwells in you and begins to shape your life. The Holy Spirit comes as, as Jesus' representative, God in the Spirit, to shape you, mold you, and make you into the image of Jesus Christ. It's gonna take a lifetime, trust me. I'm 65, it's taking a lifetime. He's still working. He's crafting Christ in you. And because of that, you have eternal hope of life after death. That's why when you face death, you can face it without fear, you can. Because you know that when your eyes close and you go to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The Magi saw it, and they sacrificed to go for it. The shepherds saw it. I mean, they were privileged. They were lower class people out in the field, but the angels went to them and made sure that they heard the, the great news of good tidings, that Jesus has come. Billions have throughout history found Jesus Christ. And there's a star that's still coming right now in the sky that in your life and it's confluence and convergence is about to happen right now. So as we just wait in the presence of the Lord, we're almost done here. If you're here and you say, you know what? I don't know, Jesus. I, I kind of know what you're talking about. I mean, I heard it when I was a kid or my grandmother talked about it or whatever, but I, I've never really come to a place of turning to him. You may have heard the word repent. That's what it speaks to. It's a turning. So you, you are making a conscious turning to the Lord right now, saying, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. And if that's you and you've never done it, or maybe you did it sometime like in a church and you were young and you just, you know, you got baptized, whatever, but you didn't really understand fully what it is. But now as you're an adult, you begin to realize, you know what? It's not just religion. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's, it's actually having connection with God and then Jesus and his Holy Spirit can influence my life and my marriage and my future, my destiny, even my identity, that I might know clearly who I am. 
that's the influence of Jesus Christ in your life. So if you're here, here and you've never done that, you've never said, Jesus, come into my life, I wanna pray with you before we go. I wanna make sure you leave feeling like, hey, I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. When you know that, it's a game changer. Everything now comes through that filter. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. So across this room, I'm gonna do something a little different than we did in the play, and I really like it. If you've never done that, or you did that when you were young and you feel you've drifted away from that, it really doesn't have the meaning. Let's, let's seal the deal on this right now. What I'd like you to do is just put your hand on your heart if that's you, and you say, I haven't done that. I'm away from the Lord. Just put your hand on your heart. We're gonna pray a prayer together. Around this room, there's, there's a number of people that have hands on their heart right now. So pray this prayer with me. Let's all pray it together. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. We need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me, Lord, of all sin that I might walk righteously before you. I give my life to you, just like the Magi did, just like the shepherds did. I come to you right now, and I yield my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord for those who gave their life to Jesus Christ. Up on the screen. We can put the screen up for those who, uh, yeah, I have decided. Uh, you can use your name and email and text it to that number, 216-279-8338. And uh, we'll connect with you and uh, help you out. There's some studies we can give you, some guides we can give you to help you out in your new walk with Christ. We wanna to get to know you as a person. And if you do not have a home church, we welcome you to come back here or one of our campuses, either in Middleburg, Akron, you can go on BethelCleveland.com, check it out, whatever's closest to you. There's a couple of great communities there ready to greet you. The rest of you, love you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.